coming back. I'm talking. Live from the Finley Toyota ESPN Las Vegas studios. I hate these guys. I don't know why you don't, and I'll be in the car. This is the Press Box. Makeup stuff. Tyler Bischoff. That player is known as the Scrabble Jackass and is then handed the box top for any further rule clarifications. Adam Candy. I can't hate him. He is so transparent and self-interest that I kind of respect him. Would I buy a car from him? No. On ESPN Las Vegas. Jared is back today. Adam Candy is in for Ed Graney. Uh, keep the motorcycles off the streets in Las Vegas this morning. Here we go, Jared. <laughs> the first bite. Which Raider is most likely gone this offseason? So this question is based on the premise that Josh McDaniels is safe, basically, no matter what uh, happens the rest of the season. I don't know if that's a smart premise, but that seems to be the general consensus among people that talk about the Raiders. So if we go off of that, and Adam, you can completely disagree with that if you want to uh, at any point. But if we go off the basis that McDaniels is going to be back and look more at the players and what's going to happen, Raiders have four games left in the season, and we might see Derek Carr, Devontae Adams, Josh Jacobs, Hunter Renfro, and Darren Waller all together. Uh, we haven't gotten a lot of that this season. Uh, it might be fair to say we haven't seen the full potential of this offense because of injuries to Renfro and Waller. So if we look at these last four, is it fair to say this is a tryout to see if this offense works with those guys? Is it fair to sort of put that much weight, that much pressure on the last four games of the season? So wait, Tyler, are you telling me that the 1.6% chance of a wild card berth that football outsiders gives the Raiders is not enough for you to still be talking about making the playoffs? Should we do that? I've been doing that uh too long, I think, already this season. I was talking about it when they won three in a row, and then they're like, oh, Baker Mayfield's here without a playbook. So, well, here's the actually, Adam, they are undefeated in the last five weeks when they play a team that has had their head coach and quarterback for more than a week. Ooh, that's an interesting stat. <laughs> I like that. Uh, who's most likely not to be here next year? It's Josh Jacobs, right? Ooh. Josh Jacobs is a free agent, and really... Well, when you boil this down, the test case for should we trust this regime to build a team more than we trusted Gruden and Mayock is what are they going to do with Josh Jacobs? Because if they go out there and give Josh Jacobs any version of the Ezekiel Elliott contract, and obviously that's an extreme example, but if they go and pay their running back a huge sum because they happen to be really good running the football this year, then you'll know don't trust these guys for a second. So that's to me, is the litmus test. I personally think they're smart enough to realize that the kind of contract Josh Jacobs is likely to command is not one they should give out. Am I, uh, is it blind faith on my part to just assume they're not giving Jacobs that contract? What evidence would you have for it not to be blind? Like that to me is, I'm going to call that legally blind faith. <laughs> um, like <laughs> you, you Definitely are taking a certain amount on faith, but we have at least a little bit of evidence of better ideas of team building. Yeah, I mean, they come, they came from New England, and as foolish as it might be to say it's New England West that the Patriots haven't paid running backs, um, and 
they didn't give him the fifth-year option. Now, the way he's played this year, you're, I think the Gruden comparison might be apt there because if John Gruden was still here, Josh Jacobs would be getting a massive deal, I would assume, in the offseason. But they didn't give him the fifth-year option because I think, I, to me, I just, I'm under the impression that they realize, oh, we can't give out the big money to running backs. Now, what the season that he had this year they probably franchise tag him would be my guess, which is going to end up costing them. I think it's the franchise tag is going to be about $4 million more than what his fifth year option would have been if they had just simply picked that up. Uh, but there's no long-term commitment on the franchise tag. It's one year it hurt for one year, the salary, but if Jacobs is going to be this productive again, then you're perfectly fine with it. But that would be, I don't know to me. I've just again, blind faith, but I've just sort of been under the other assumption that they're not going to give him that long-term deal, that it's going to be, uh, either he walks or a franchise tax situation for Jacobs. Ooh, you might be perfectly fine with it, but I'm not perfectly fine with it. Not with the situation that the Raiders are going to find themselves in next year with the cap. I mean, every major contract that they sign this offseason takes a bump next year, and they're already carrying a massive amount of dead cap into next season. So I, I don't know that the Raiders have the luxury of just saying, We'll put the franchise tag on Josh Jacobs and pay him the average of the top five salaries at the position because of a contract like Ezekiel Elliott. So, look, if we assume it, I'll play along. If we assume that it's not going to be Josh Jacobs and say who's not going to be back next year, who hasn't performed this year when on the field? It's been Derek Carr. And Derek Carr is the one they can get out of with no guaranteed money for next year. You can't say the same about Darren Waller, and you can't say the same about Hunter Renfro, although it's less money for Hunter Renfro. So on the Derek Carr side of things, there's that three-day window after the Super Bowl where the Raiders can cut him, and it, it basically kills the rest of the contract. If you're the Raiders, and if you decide we're going to move on from Derek Carr, he's going to have trade value. Doesn't it make more sense to keep him and trade him than it does to just simply cut him and get out of the contract? <sighs> Now you're getting into trying to figure out what other teams want. And are other teams going to want to take on the salary of Derek Carr? I guess that you can look at a cap number for next year of $34 million and say that that's not unreasonable and that obviously a certain amount of that charge stays with the Raiders if they pay him. Uh, I should say if they trade him. But in the end, if you're the Raiders, are you looking at this team as a team that oh, we just needed to be a little better in one-score games. Well, if you do that, if you're if you're a Raiders fan who looks and says, oh, look at their record in one-score games, do me a favor and look at their record in one-score games from last year. Because all you're going to see is that essentially, if you've built a team that is so vulnerable to the whims of variance that all they have to figure out each year is, are we going to be good enough to come out on the right side of variance for one-score games? Congratulations. You're the Minnesota Vikings, and you've gone nowhere. <laughs> uh, I'm completely convinced that's what they're going to do in the offseason. That they are absolutely, because they're going to play four more games. Three of them are going to be one-score games again. Maybe they win a couple. Maybe they lose all three. Whatever. But I absolutely believe this front office, ownership, head coach, I absolutely believe they go into the offseason and they say, oh, if we could have just pulled out that one stop against Baker Mayfield, if we could have just held on to a win uh, without blowing a 17-point lead to Jacksonville or, or Kansas City, we're in the playoffs, baby. I absolutely believe that's how they're going to view this roster in the offseason. Not, 
Well, if we don't score that overtime touchdown against Seattle from 80 yards away on a handoff, or if we don't beat Denver in overtime, we're actually a 5-12 and team instead. I absolutely believe they're going into the offseason saying, look at the one-score games we lost, turn those around, and we're a playoff team. Well, if you do that, then you have to have an amazing amount of cognitive dissonance for the fact that the previous year, when they went to the playoffs because they won a bunch of one-score games against bad teams and bad quarterbacks at the end of the year, then you would be dissociating yourself from the obvious, which is to say that when you went into last year saying, we're close, we just need to add a few pieces, well, you're 5-8 and eight right now. Uh, I want to go back to the Jacobs conversation for a second because uh, they're not officially eliminated from the playoffs. They actually can officially be eliminated from the playoffs this uh, week. A Raiders loss, and I think it's a Miami and Jets win, and the Raiders are officially done. Uh, I would probably do this now, but if they wait until they're officially eliminated, fine. With Jacobs in the running back spot, shouldn't they be giving Zamir White more carries now? Like I to me that seems like that is best case scenario for everyone involved because from the team side you drafted Zamir White it looked as though the plan was not going to bring Josh Jacobs back in 2023 Zamir White's going to have a chance to be sort of the lead back in 2023 but he's gotten basically no work because Jacobs has gotten all of the carries so you need to find out what Zamir White is it's good for Zamir White because he gets to actually play and it's good for the organization because they get to see what they have see if he can uh, be a productive running back. And if they feel comfortable with him as the number one guy going into 2023, I also think it's good for Jacobs because does he really need to do much more to get a contract? Like if I'm just, if, if I'm Josh Jacobs, I don't know how big the contract is because teams have uh, for the most part, smartened up about not giving running backs big deals, but I don't feel like he's got to do a whole lot more to me. It's more about as long as he doesn't get hurt, he's probably getting a fairly significant deal for running backs in the off season. So it's probably better for Jacobs if he goes from getting 25 touches a game to getting 15 while Zamir White gets 10. To me, that just makes too much sense all the way around, but it hasn't actually happened yet. Okay, so Josh Jacobs is averaging 5.2 yards per attempt. That's great. Uh, Then you look down the line, and you see that Tony Pollard, who is not getting paid, has 5.7 yards per attempt. Miles Sanders, who relatively is not getting paid, is at 5.2. Uh, Cordero Patterson, who kind of got paid this offseason, but also is a hybrid threat, 5.2. Uh, the rookie, Travis Etienne, 5. All to say, you're paying for decline. If you pay for a running back after contract, number one, you are paying for things that were already done. And when you have a player like Josh Jacobs, where the biggest thing that he has changed this year is being healthy, are you willing to bet a contract moving forward on health for a running back because if you are that is a terrible terrible idea over the course of time so are they willing to admit that this season's over right Tyler are they willing to admit that they have a 1.6 percent chance of making the playoffs that nine and eight even if you give them wins over San Francisco and Kansas City to end the year that (laughs) nine and eight isn't getting you anywhere I don't know that they are but I would guess if once it's official that they'll actually look at it and say, hey, we're done, and I'm curious if they would actually change anything, or 
the general point of this segment, are they viewing this as some sort of offensive tryout to see who they want to bring back? Are they looking at this as, hey, we're finally healthy. Let's see what this offense can do. Even if it doesn't mean a playoff push, let's see what all these guys together can do. And if the offense looks good through the last four games, we'll bring them all back next year and we'll run it back because we just needed to win those close games over Baker Mayfield and Jeff Saturday to find ourselves in the playoffs. Well, I just need to add one thing to that. The fact that it would be Miami and the Jets knocking them out of the playoffs, if you know your Raiders history since they were rumored to be coming to Vegas, is just hilarious because the game they lost here to Miami uh, where Ryan Fitzpatrick threw the ball up to the ceiling and they uh, somehow came down with it and beat them. And then when they went to New York to play the Jets and got absolutely wrecked uh, and the Henry Ruggs game, I don't know. There's just so many hilarious parts of this that uh, I guess don't matter in terms of who comes back next year. Because right now, if you're the Raiders, the fact that we're talking about games like that in terms of who comes back next year should show you that this core isn't enough to get it done. Currently leading the Raider that is most likely to be gone this offseason is Derek Carr with 88.9% of the vote. (laughs) Jacobs was not on that poll. It says Carr, Adams, Renfro, and Darren Waller, uh, who we haven't seen a whole lot of. All right, coming up next, we are going to get into some UNLV football because Bobby Petrino is coming to Vegas. It's good, man. uh, The the more the merrier, so we'll see if we can get a couple more. Live from the Finley Toyota ESPN Las Vegas studios, this is The Press Box with Granny and Bischoff, featuring Adam Candy. Adam Candy from Legal Sports Report is in today. Uh, Jeff Erickson is going to be by in about 10 minutes to answer your fantasy football questions. So you can text those in to 69187. Make sure you preface your message with ESPN and then send it all to 69187. Also, we got a lot of tickets today. Las Vegas Bowl, Five Finger Death Punch, and some Golden Knights tickets all to give away throughout the show. Uh, But the news this morning from Chris Lowe of ESPN, Bobby Petrino is returning to the FBS ranks as the offensive coordinator at UNLV under new coach Barry Odom. Um, To give you the quick background, if you're unaware on Bobby Petrino, uh, he was the head coach at Louisville. He left Louisville to take the Atlanta Falcons job which he quit after 13 games in the middle of the season. By leaving a letter. He told his players that he was leaving by putting a note in their lockers. Uh, He quit that job because he was taking the Arkansas head coaching job. Bobby Petrino then coached at Arkansas for a few years until he was found to be having an affair with a former Arkansas volleyball player. He had actually hired her to be on his staff the way that became public information. How was that, Tyler? How'd they find out? <laughs> Bobby Petrino was the leader of the pack. Uh, was in a motorcycle accident. Uh, initially, Bobby Petrino told everybody he was on the motorcycle by himself. Then there was, I think it was going to be a police report was coming out. And Bobby Petrino had to come clean and say, oh, uh, there was somebody with me. It is the woman I just hired to be on my staff. And we are having an affair. Uh, the athletic director at Arkansas then fired Bobby Petrino. 
And he took a few years off of being out of football. But this is not his first job back. Uh, Since being fired at Arkansas, Bobby Petrino has been the head coach at Western Kentucky. He got another stint at Louisville, uh, where he was the head coach when Lamar Jackson was there. And most recently, he was the head coach at Missouri State. So Bobby Petrino has been all over the place. And Bobby Petrino has some of the funniest downfall type of stories that we see in football. Uh, Adam, what do you think of UNLV hiring Bobby Petrino? I'm not sure I would put the nameplate up in anything that can't be removed easily. <laughs> um, maybe use those those little contact strips instead of <laughs> anything uh, you know that, that would pull the paint off the wall. It, it, what you failed to mention about the Louisville situation and him leaving to go to the Falcons is that uh, he was on a 10-year contract that he had just signed after succeeding at Louisville. 10-year contract. Six months into the 10-year contract, he left for the Falcons. And then you talked about what he did with uh, the Falcons and leaving the note. Uh, Also, he had personally promised Arthur Blank, the owner of the Falcons, 24 hours earlier that he was staying in Atlanta before he (laughs) left for Arkansas. Um, so I guess the the immediate reaction is that there was no one else to do this job. <laughs> really? Bobby Petrino's skill as an offensive coordinator, which largely has been burnished by his time with Lamar Jackson, that is what you had to have. The guy who was having an affair, by the way, you were kind to just say, with a woman, uh, he was married with children and was having an affair with an Arkansas volleyball player uh, who he not only hired, but uh, one entry said he gave her mistress gifts ranging from candy to $20,000. That's a wide range of gifts. And I would love to know what falls in the middle. Yeah. I'd actually love to know like what candy, like what part of the investigation was like, well, he gave her a Snickers on January 7th. He absolutely went to the mall and got her C's candy. Like we we finally have the answer other than grandma's who gets and gives C's candy. It's Bobby Petrino and his former mistress who right now, if you go search Twitter and you see for Bobby Petrino, you will find two things. One, you will find a lot of people posting GIFs of men on motorcycles. Uh, <laughs> the second thing you will find is Texas A&M fans saying, wait, Jimbo couldn't even get Bobby Petrino to come here? He went to UNLV instead? You don't find anything talking about, is Bobby Petrino going to be a good offensive coordinator? And if I were, if I were a head coach who didn't exactly have a sterling resume like the new coach at UNLV I'm not sure this is the guy I would stick my neck out for as my offensive coordinator and the fascinating part is offensive coordinator is probably the most important position Barry Odom's going to hire because he's the defensive coach right to, to oversimplify this over the next two three four five years however long Barry Odom is here if UNLV's defense is good it's likely Barry Odom. If UNLV's defense is bad, it's Barry Odom's fault most likely, and it doesn't matter whose offensive coordinator is, but the general idea is Barry Odom's going to make the defense at least respectable, and then whoever's offensive coordinator is needs to make this offense good if is going to get to a bowl game and beyond that, which Eric Harper seems determined to make this football program. So this is probably the most important hire that he's going to make, and I, I don't. to be honest, 
I don't even care that much about the affair and the motorcycle cra- uh, motorcycle crash. Like it's funny, it's good it material. But as far as like hiring the guy, it, it was over a decade ago. As far as I know, maybe this is wrong, but as far as we know publicly, at Missouri State, second stint at Louisville, um, Western Kentucky, like as far as we know, it's not like there were more affairs with more people on his staff or anything like that. So I'm not overly concerned with the affair and the motorcycle crash. It's more about, like you said, you can't put his name permanently anywhere. Like how long, if if things go well, how long is he going to be here? One year? It maybe not even a year. Is he gone in the middle of the season? Like he's got shown a pattern over and over, whether it's been the Falcons, whether it's been like you brought up in the 10 year contract, leaving less than a year into that. Hell, he did it to Western Kentucky. The first job he got back after this entire situation, he found himself in. If things go well, Bobby Petrino's not here. And maybe that's true for any offensive coordinator, but it seems like it's even more likely that if things don't go exactly well, things just kind of go okay in year one, Petrino might be gone in a second. Now you're making the most important hire a second time at offensive coordinator. Okay, so let's just say, would he leave in a wonderful blaze of success? Well, let's look at Missouri State. What's he done recently? Uh, first year in the vaunted Missouri Valley Conference, they go five and five. They go five and one in conference, lose in the first round of the FCS. Then they go eight and four. Now the first year was the COVID year. Then there was twenty twenty one. They went eight and four. But this past year, they went five and six, three and five in conference, and finished eighth in the Missouri Valley. This time, Bobby Petrino wasn't going to be the one leaving. This time, Bobby Petrino was the one who was going to get kicked to the curb. So, is that what you're looking for? I, I, there's just so much about this that I don't understand. Look, the high, the Odom hire screamed recycle, and Bobby Petrino is just another piece of that. And I guess maybe when you're UNLV and you've tried every version of, all right, we'll try the former head coach. All right, we'll try the hot coordinator. All right, we'll try, apparently, the high school coach. Um, then maybe it's just, I don't know. You keep throwing darts at the board and hoping. Basically. It just feels like there had to be a better way. Uh, my other main uh, question on this, maybe it's a little bit of a concern. You mentioned the Texas A&M thing. There's been reporting that he was in conversations to be the offensive coordinator at Texas A&M. I'm really curious, uh, how much is Bobby Petrino getting paid by UNLV? Is he? Are we about to be like, oh, Bobby Petrino, highest paid coordinator in the Mountain West, and how much money does that leave to hire other uh, assistants at oh, no. UNLV? No, 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 no. This isn't... No, I saw something on this. This is not coming all out of public money. They have a Harley-Davidson sponsorship that's going to pay for the bulk of this. <laughs> all right, Jeff Erickson yeah. from RotoWire is going to join us next. If you've got fantasy football questions, text them in right now. The text line is 69187. Make sure you type ESPN. Preface your message with ESPN, so type ESPN and whatever your fantasy football question is and send that all to 69187. Jeff Erickson will answer those next. Calm. Yeah, I, I definitely believe in myself. You know, of course, I, I have all the confidence in the world, and I think that's how it should be. But, you know, you got to be able to prove that. You're sitting in the press box with Graney and Bischoff on ESPN Las Vegas. Follow them on Twitter at Ed Graney and Bischoff underscore Tyler featuring Adam Candy. Fantasy playoffs are here, and joining us now is Jeff Erickson from RotoWire. If you've got questions for Jeff Erickson, who you need to start 
in your fantasy playoffs. You can text those in right now. The text line is 69187. Type ESPN and then whatever your fantasy football question is and send it to 69187, and we will get that to Jeff Erickson. Uh, Jeff, before we get to some questions, I just have a uh, sort of general league question for you. What do you think, like, the right number of playoff teams is in leagues? Like, should it be 6 out of 12 or 6 out of 10, or do you like 4 better? I think I like 6 better. Um, more people get there. Uh, it, it, it takes strips out a little bit of the variance there, a little bit if you've got a couple of teams that are high-point teams that just happen to run into the wrong opponent every week. You know, I, I, I think I play in some 14-team leagues. You know, 6 out of 14 is even better. Um, I think that's about... Yeah, somewhere in that right range there. Um, four out of twelve. I've, I I have some leagues like that. It's fine. It's just if you have divisional constructs, I don't like it so much. If you don't have divisions, four is fine. But uh, otherwise, I prefer six. No, I think the right answer is a league with your old college buddies that has eight. <laughs> and out of 12 because maybe you just had a really good season and ran into one of those high points against years where you finished eighth and snuck your way into the playoffs like I did. Uh, sounds so like the NHL. Yeah, oh, ap- ap- listen, we are like the old Smythe division right now. Absolutely. Everyone gets a turn. Um, all right, so let's get into the start-sit stuff, obviously, with my team. Why should we talk about anybody else's? Um <laughs> So uh, you've got a running back spot in which you could go with the touchdown machine, Jamal Williams, or you could ride with a uh, a guy who's likely to get more touches in Kenneth Walker, but against San Francisco. Well, I'd go Jamal Williams. Uh, I, I don't trust that Walker is a really full capacity is going to get the normal workload. And the Niners, it's not just a tough matchup. It's the toughest running back matchup in the NFL. If you do any, like, you know, Defense versus position rankings and all that. The Niners always right out on top in terms of against running backs and running back scoring. So I don't think it's I, the only thing working in his favor, Walker's favor, is the fact that he's a little fresher, didn't play last week, and that's Thursday night. And often running backs get a few extra carries on Thursday night. But I don't trust that that angle is 100%. In tonight's game with uh, Debo Samuel's injury, are you playing Jordan Mason or Juwan Jennings in any leagues? I am playing Jordan Mason in a league. Uh, I am not playing Jennings, although I see the impetus for it there. I, I, I just don't happen to have him. Uh, I do have some fab runs today, so I may be desperate enough in, in one league where I need one receiver, where I lost Devo. I, you know, I'm not sure if I'm going to have Higgins playing for me that I might have to go that route. Yeah, I mean, de- desperation takes many forms. Uh, I'm in a 2QB league where I was just crossing my fingers that I would be able to get Matt Ryan in a waiver run this week. So I, I, I understand yeah. like these, these things, oh, yeah. these things absolutely happen. Uh, yeah. There are six new quarterbacks this week. I mean, that's the thing, P- potentially six, at least, you know, depending on what happens with Baltimore, I think Huntley might actually be able to make it back, but you're looking at Colt McCoy. You're looking at Desmond Ritter, Brett Rippin. I mean, it gets really pretty ugly pretty quick. Jeff Erickson with us from Rotowire. Again, if you've got fantasy football questions, send them in to 69187. We will get to those. Uh, on the Raiders side here, it looks like Hunter Renfro and Darren Waller will be back this week. How much trust do you have in Waller at the tight end position to play him in his first game back? Trust is a very strong word. Um, <laughs> I, not a ton. Um, especially because I don't trust the Raiders. I mean, they decided that they forgot Devontae Adams was on their team in the second half last week. Um, and he was only carrying them earlier in the year anytime and, and beating Jalen Ramsey early in that game. And they, they thought that 
the Rams couldn't score twice, and they just decided not to score again. Um, I think it'll be a little bit more of a wide-open game this week, at least, against the Pats, but it, it's not going to be a shootout, though. I, I don't think it will be. Um, so I, I think you're looking at maybe six targets, uh, especially in his first game back. All right, but back to my team again. Uh, are, are we trusting that Mike Williams is going to be able to stay healthy two consecutive weeks, or are we trusting that somehow Mike Evans and Tom Brady in week 15 are going to figure it out? Um, I, I would trust Williams more. Uh, first of all, I, I mean, he looked phenomenal uh, on Sunday night. Secondly, the Tennessee Titans are a team that gets regularly exploited by top wide receivers. So I, I think this is a very good matchup for him. Uh, if he gets put against McCreary on the one side there, he, he's got a huge height advantage. Um, I think that could really work out pretty well. So I go that route over Evans. Evans is confounding. He's one of those, oh, I guess I have to start him, guys, but you're not thrilled about it. I have none at 24 this week among wide receivers. All right, six, six nine one eight seven. That's the text line. Uh, here we go. Uh, guy has says he has Geno Smith, but grabbed Brock Purdy on waivers. Should he take a flyer tonight and start Brock Purdy over Geno Smith? I would not, because um, I, Purdy's got uh, his own issues health wise there with the oblique and ribs. I don't think they're going to have him uh, run too much. I don't think they'll have him scramble. I think Geno is. It's a, that's a tough matchup, but. I think the Niners, you mentioned Jordan Mason earlier, the Niners are going to run the ball a bunch. Uh, that's how you beat Seattle. Seattle can't stop the, the run at all right now. So I think Geno's going to throw it more than Purdy. Uh, flex spot, three different guys here. Travis Etienne, Chris Olave, or Latavius Murray? It's either Etienne or Olave. Um, I'm going to go Etienne. I, I, I understand how frustrating it was last week. He was inches away from scoring, and then Trevor Lawrence got the carry in the next play for the touchdown. I, I am worried, like, what happened to the passes for ETN, but I still see the volume getting him there. It, it's, a, it's a close call, but I go ETN. Uh, if I remember correctly, Jared got eliminated from the playoffs because he had Christian Kirk and Travis ETN, who, despite the Jags scoring, like, 30 points, they combined for, what, two fantasy points or something like that? Yep. <laughs> Good day for the Not Jags. Not bitter offense. at all. All right. Um, here's another question. Do you play Dallas Goddard if he's playing this weekend? Good question. Uh, yeah, it depends on your alternatives, but, I mean, let's face it, the tight end position is a wasteland. Unless you have Kelsey, Andrews, Hawkinson, Schultz, and Ingram, um, I think you're probably playing uh, Goddard over over the rest of the pool, and that includes Kittle. Uh, but the problem is you have to make that decision vis-a-vis Kittle. But, uh, yeah, it's it's so tough getting regular production uh, week after week from the, that position. Uh, quarterback question, Jared Goff or Trevor Lawrence? I uh, don't like either matchup this week. Uh, I think I, I'm going to go golf, but I'm not thrilled about it there. Check the weather report. Uh, if, if weather is a, fun, a factor at all in that game, then pivot over to Lawrence. But uh, these are two nasty pass defenses. Here's another quarterback one to, for somebody that lost Kyler Murray. Also, Jared Goff, Aaron Rodgers, or Ryan Tannehill? Still, uh, no, I'm going to go Rodgers. I'm going to go Rodgers. I think... He's got Watson going, and he might even get Dubs back on Monday night. I'm going to go Rodgers. Travis Etienne or James Conner? Uh, Conner. 69187. That is the text line. If you've got questions for Jeff Erickson, you can send those in right now. Uh, Zonovan Knight or DeAndre Swift? Uh, I'm going to go Bam Knight here. Uh, he's get, I, I trust the workload, actually, and I like the matchup against the Lions. 
Is he is he the uh, nobody knew who he was three weeks ago, but he won your fantasy league for you players? Is that what Bam Knight's about to be? Pretty much. Arian Foster was that guy at one point in time. If you remember, he emerged like week 14 or 15 for Houston in his rookie year, uh, carried people in the fantasy playoffs, and then became a regular guy. I don't know if he becomes a regular guy because Brees Hall comes back next year, but Knight's the guy right now over Carter. There's no doubt about that. 69187, that is the text line. Michael Pittman or Jerry Judy? I'm going to go Pittman. Love the matchup against the Vikings this week. All right. Uh, we got a text here. We got one guy who's getting his money's worth in. He's got questions at three different positions. So we'll start here. Daniel Jones or Jared Goff? Uh, Jones. But, uh, again, it's one of those uh, I hate. No, actually, no. I take that back. Go Goff. I have Goff over Jones. I, I'm sorry. Uh, go Goff. All right. Uh, it is a half-point PPR league. Rex Burkhead or Jamal Williams? Jamal Williams. And then for a wide receiver spot, let's see, Gabe Davis, Isaiah Hodgins, Zay Jones. The fact that you have to ask that shows how disappointing Gabe Davis has been lately. Um, I'm going Zay Jones over Gabe Davis. It's close, but I'm going Jones. I'm not going Hodgins. All right, you uh, often tell us about different rules or settings that you think leagues should have. You're big on the two quarterbacks. Is there anything in a playoff format, any different things that you've seen leagues do that you like that should be in more fantasy football leagues. Yeah, this is a cool one I ran across. Uh, if and six teams make the playoffs, but the top two teams get a bye, but the third place team gets to choose his or her opponent. Uh, and, and, you know, cause sometimes the six seed is like high on points. Uh, the fourth, the fourth seed maybe have gotten there in a weak division, weak record, you know, a great record, but weaker opponents. Um, so you may want to face that team instead of just going automatically three versus six. Uh, that that happened in one of my leagues. I, I, unfortunately, I was chosen uh, as the team, so I'm not. I didn't love that part of it there, but uh, I, I'm using it to inspire my team for bulletin board material. But um, I think I think it's a great idea, uh, actually. That the, the whole choose your opponent concept there. And uh, do you continue that into the next round when the one and two seeds come back into play? That's a good question. I need to find out. First time I've been playing in this league, so I don't know. Uh, but I think that would be a phenomenal idea too. Well, he is Jeff Erickson from Roto-Wire. Jeff, as always, we appreciate your help. Anytime. Good luck in the playoffs. Uh, so there is Jeff Erickson from Roto-Wire here every Thursday to answer your fantasy football questions, uh, unless you're Jared and somehow had the two Jags that did not do anything in fantasy football. It's still it's impressive, Jared. I'm, I'm impressed uh, that's what happened to you. The previous week, I lost by one point because the Chiefs got negative two points. That's your own fault for starting the Chiefs defense. All no, right. that's being in a 16-team league. Oh, that's right. You're playing a dumb league. All right, uh, we've got Las Vegas Bowl tickets to give away this weekend at Allegiant Stadium. A four-pack of tickets to go see Oregon State take on Florida in the SRS Distribution Las Vegas Bowl. We'll take caller number eight right now at 702-364-1100. That is 702-364-1100. You'll win Four tickets to go to the Las Vegas Bowl. Into the box, Jerome Mbappe. Umberba got to be careful. Mbappe weaving through the flanking shot. It's there on the far side. And France have their second. Colomani might have been his first touch. It's coming on as a sub. Might have put France in the final. We're back to the Press Box Morning Show with Ed Graney and Tyler Bischoff featuring Adam Candy. Adam is in for Ed today. That'll be back. Tomorrow, Congratulations to Mike. Mike won tickets to go to the Las Vegas Bowl this weekend. We still have more giveaways, five-finger death punch tickets, 
and Golden Knights tickets. So stay tuned. We will uh, have more chances for you to win. Also tomorrow, we're going to have $300 potentially for somebody on the Dollar Loan Center Friday Football Frenzy. Uh, so yeah, tune in tomorrow if give, you want to try to win 300 bucks. Going to give them all Saturday games so that way they don't have to sweat out Sunday? I don't know. Haven't even thought about it yet. Okay. Uh, didn't even realize there were that many Saturday games until you just said something. Uh, but in the World Cup, France beat Morocco 2 nothing in a World Cup semifinal to advance to their second straight final. France won the 2018 World Cup. They're looking to win back-to-back World Cup titles, which hasn't happened in six decades. They're going to take on Argentina, where Lionel Messi is looking to win his first World Cup. It's Sunday at 7 a.m. I am uh, genuinely excited for France-Argentina, even more than I am excited for random soccer games. Um, As much fun as upsets are, like Croatia and Morocco getting to the semis, I had very little interest watching those two teams in the final. I guess if they played each other, it would have been fun. But like, if France was taking on Croatia or Argentina taking on Morocco, it wouldn't have been interesting. I'm very happy we have the two heavyweights. It's very similar to the NCAA tournament where... The upsets are fun. The upsets are great. We love to see St. Peter's, but ultimately I kind of want the final four in the national championship to just to, to be the heavyweights. Like, all right, you had your fun with your upsets, but give me the good teams. Give me the best players. And we're getting that with France and Argentina. It's probably England. Maybe you could argue would be better, uh, but it's probably the best storyline we could get as far as heavyweights go where France is playing for its second straight world cup. That's as uh, great of a feat as you can accomplish in international soccer. And on the other side, you have Lionel Messi and Argentina in what is the biggest game for an athlete's legacy maybe ever because Lionel Messi has accomplished pretty much everything there is to accomplish as a professional soccer player and the greatest of all time arguments exist. He has not won the World Cup, though. And if he wins the World Cup in what's expected to be his final World Cup with Argentina... It'd be one of the best uh, finales to an international career that we've ever seen. I'm very excited, Adam, and I can't wait to hear how you're not excited about the World Cup final. Oh, um, I am, like every other <laughs> sports fan who's kind of excited. Um, so there's, let me get this straight. There's Messi. I know Messi. I've seen Messi before. And then there's the kid from Hanson, Umbop. Yeah. <sighs> what am I supposed to do with you? You know we're going to get Lionel Messi in Major League Soccer next year, right? Cool. Yeah, uh, some some team is paying like Raider Stadium money to get him, right? Uh, no. Well, I, actually, we'll see what the deal is. But Major League Soccer has, like, it's, very, it's the most complicated salary cap in the world. I don't even understand it to try to explain it to you. He's actually probably not going to get paid a ton of money by Inter Miami to come over here. Like, he could absolutely make more money in Europe. If he just stuck around over there, and he's thirty-five, playing extremely well. All right, all right. Let's 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 dig down into one of the issues I have when it comes to Americans and soccer. Inter Miami, Sporting <laughs> Kansas City, Real Salt Lake, Real, all right. Real. whatever. No, no. For me, it's real. Real um, with cheese. So, oh yeah, Real with cheese. So, what? Why? Why, in order to make soccer interesting in America, do we have to copy the things that DC happen United. elsewhere? I 100% agree with you. It annoys the hell out of me. Reno, 1776. 
that was fine. That was their own year they were created. But like we and here's the thing, we do have some teams in Major League Soccer that go with the traditional American style of city and nickname. LA Galaxy, DC or Philadelphia Union, um, New York Red Bulls, even though that's a sponsorship one. Like they exist here, but for whatever reason there's been so many teams and they still do it that think we need to identify like a Premier League team or a La Liga team. And it I hate it. Like the one that annoys me the most here, Lights FC. They play in the United Soccer League, and they go by Lights Las Vegas Lights Football Club. It should have been Soccer Club. It should be Lights SC. So I'm 100% with you on that. It's very annoying. I do not like Inter-Miami or Real Salt Lake either. So I have no defense for that, Adam. You will. Okay. All right. Good. I, I, I want a soccer point today, so uh, my parents will be very happy with me. All right. <laughs> so now let's talk about the actual World Cup final here with Argentina and France. Uh What I'm happy about more than anything is that the game of soccer gets these two stars on the field and a great way to promote the game and a great way for everybody who is less of a soccer fan than me. I have plenty of history with the sport of soccer, but in order to really get into it, like I need something like this to watch. So I'm just happy that we get a great showcase for the game and that maybe bringing Messi over to inter Miami <laughs> will get a little bit of carryover effect. There is a very small chance, but there is the possibility that Lionel Messi would play a U.S. Open Cup game at Cashman Field against Lights FC. The you okay? Now you're now you're confusing me again. Is that the thing where like all the random soccer teams go play f- from different leagues against each other? Yes, it's great. It's phenomenal. Didn't we lose to like a ninth division Orange County team or something from Lights FC? Do I remember this correctly? It's happened twice. Yes. Okay. They've been eliminated twice by amateur teams. It's great. Yes. Never tell me again that I don't care about soccer. (laughs) I just remembered that. I am proud of you. It was an Orange County team, too. That was incredible soccer memory from Adam Candy.